there, this is Jen Wade, part of the core team here at Springs Church. We just want to say thank you so much for joining us and listening to our podcast. We are praying that it encourages you and it inspires you. And if you'd like to find out more about Springs Church, please visit our website, springschurch.co.uk. Here's today's message. This is who you are particularly welcome. My name's John. I'm one of the, the pastors here. Uh, I think really everybody else, uh, apart from Matt and Linus and uh, a couple of worship leaders, uh, are away this weekend. So we are a little bit thin on the bread, but it's just great to be able to uh, to share with you. Do you think, Richard, do you get my presentation on? Great. Um, if you uh, see the first slide, uh, it isn't actually a deliberate mistake. Uh, but you'll see uh, that the slide says the Ten Commandments, Part 2, 19th of March. Now that's not a mistake because that is when uh, this message was originally going to be uh, delivered. Um, but the 19th of March was, was actually Mother's Day. And uh, we just felt almost at the very last minute that, that it was more appropriate to deliver a specific uh, Mother's Day message. And then I think we had Palm Sunday and then Easter Sunday and then uh, the Sunday after Easter. So um, many of you may actually have already uh, forgotten uh, that we have just about begun, uh, we've just about started a uh, series on uh, the Ten Commandments. So I actually thought what we'd better do is to just reboot and relook at why we were actually doing this series. It wasn't just the fact that we thought it was a good idea to do a series on the Ten Commandments. There was a little bit more to it. And um, I just want to uh, share this psalm, or two verses from Psalm 19, with the next slide, please, Rich. Um, which says this, I don't know if you can read that, that clearly, but I'll, I'll read it to you, and then I want to highlight a couple of things. So Psalm 19, verse 7 and 8, says this, The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. There's four kind of couplets there. Next slide, please, Rich. Because I've just highlighted there these are the, the reasons, or these are four of the reasons, that we want to look and dig down into the Ten Commandments. We believe that the Ten Commandments are actually perfect. I think it's quite amazing that all of the, the laws in our country effectively are based still on the original Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, I don't actually haven't done a word count, but, but there's, there's probably, I, I guess, a hundred words in the Ten Commandments, something like that. We have got books and books and books of law, but basically, God's able to summarise uh, His perfect law for us in these very simple Ten Commandments. Well, some of them are simple. The Ten Commandments are trustworthy. If you're going to put your trust in anything, uh, with regards to how you should be living your life, we can say on the authority of Scripture that you can absolutely trust that the Ten Commandments are how you should be living your life. The Ten Commandments are right, 
There isn't really very much arguing with the Ten Commandments. If you disagree with them, I'm sorry, you've just got to suck it up and take it on the chin. Because the Ten Commandments are right. That is, these are the laws that God has given us. And it also says that the Ten Commandments are clear. And that's really what we're hoping to do in this series. We're trying to make the Ten Commandments clear to each and every one of you. But then, it doesn't just tell us that they're perfect, trustworthy, right and clear, but it tells us what they do for us. So, next slide Richard, all from the same two verses from the Psalms. It says that the Ten Commandments will revive your soul. If your soul is in need of a bit of revival, well, look at the Ten Commandments. In fact, if your soul really needs a lot of reviving, it could be that you're living your life contrary to some of the Ten Commandments. I like this one. If you consider yourself to be a bit of a simple type of person, like I certainly do, I like things to be pretty basic and easy to understand, it says here, the Ten Commandments make wise the simple. So if you consider yourself a bit simple, but you want to be wise, then really grasp what these Ten Commandments are and begin to live by them. The Ten Commandments aren't there to uh, ruin our lives, aren't there to be killjoys. It isn't a matter of these are the do's and don'ts and it's going to make your life a dirge and a bit hard. The Ten Commandments actually bring joy to the heart. If you want your life to be joyful, you need to be living by these commandments of God. And then lastly, this psalm says, the commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. We live in really confusing times. I'm sure that probably over the last hundreds of years, preachers have stood up and said, oh, the times are confusing. But it does seem to me in this day and age that there's so much um, confusion uh, about identity, confusion about opinions. Uh, and it says here, if you really want some insight into how you should be living your life, turn again to the Ten Commandments. So, this is where it gets a bit heavier. Can we have the, the slide which tells us which commandment we're actually looking at today? This is it. I don't think this is the easiest of commandments. It is easy at face value, but when you dig down, it gets a little bit more difficult. So the commandment we are looking at today is Exodus chapter 20, which says this, you all know it, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I'm, I'm sure all of us growing up, whether or not we were in church or not, have heard this, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Uh, Danny Elkin always comes up to me after I've been preaching, almost every time, and says, John, you always seem to land for the tri tricky topics. And I think actually I've, I've managed to land again for a relatively tricky topic, something that's not that straightforward. And, and actually, um, I'm sure if, if we're all honest, if you said, well, we're going to go to church today, and we're going to be talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. It doesn't really get the pulse racing very much, does it? It's not something that really kind of enthuses you and makes you think, well, I'm really going to get something out of this, and I'm, I'm going to go out of church feeling much better than I went to before. We're going to be talking about not taking um, the name of the Lord in vain. So we're going to try and dig into it a little bit. Um, at one 
Lord's name in vain. Is it really not much more than just, well, watch your mouth? Do you think that's kind of what the commandment is? Watch your mouth, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Um, there are only ten commandments. How come this one even made it into the ten? How did this one assume such importance? You know, we, we can perhaps understand, you know, we'll have murder, uh, and don't commit adultery, and honouring father and mother, and all of those. But don't take the name of the Lord in vain. Is it that important? It obviously is to God, because it is one of the Ten Commandments. But people would perhaps say, well, is God that easily offended? Is it that significance? Loads of us have had the mickey taken out of our names. Um, I mean, I do actually want to make it clear that when I was at school, I was never, ever called Fishy Row. But, you know, I just put it out there. Um, Pete Wright was never, ever called Pete Wrong. I'm sure that people never took the mickey out of his name. And for those of you that have known uh, Carol a long time and will remember her maiden name, Carol was never ever called Fat Belly Shelley. Okay, I just want to really make that clear to you. But seriously, is there more to this commandment than, than just kind of using God? Well, what does it mean? Is it more than just Mickey taking? So, what I thought we would do today, can I have an slide please, please, is this. I hope this helps you when we look at this commandment. What I want us to do is to look to start with at the what. In other words, what does it actually mean to take the Lord's name in vain? What does it mean practically? And I think I've got three fairly practical points about that. Then we're going to look at the why. In other words, why shouldn't we take the Lord's name in vain? Okay. And then I'm going to finish by briefly looking at the who. In other words, who actually is God? And if we were taking his name in vain, whose name would we actually be taking in vain? Does that make sense? The what, the why, and the who. So, can we go on please to the next slide? The what. This is perhaps the most obvious thing that, that you could say. Uh, and it's, it's simply this. Don't use the name of the Lord as a swear word. As I say, a, a pretty obvious thing to suggest that we, sh we shouldn't be doing. Um, actually, when you, you read, uh, I, I kind of love historical fiction. It's one of the things that I like. And uh, if you ever read any historical fiction which has got dialogue in it, uh, particularly uh, around about Tudor times, you will actually see that they they used um, really powerful expressions about God in, in a blasphemous way all of the time. So, for example, if you've ever heard the word blimey, that is actually short for God blind me. So in other words, God blind me, if I remember this, it was kind of used as an expression. Uh, truth is actually short for God's truth. And, and people throughout history have, have sadly kind of used the name of the Lord or misused the Lord's name as a swear word. I, I was used to swearing um, I, I, in my first kind of part-time job. I, I actually worked as a, as a local uh, petrol station and um, the mechanic 
that was based in a workshop at the petrol station, I have to say, we had, at the very best, a very, very right turn of phrase. And, and those of you that have perhaps worked in, in industry, in particular, or other areas, will realise that, that, that swearing is, is really, really commonplace. You know, you hear it all the time, you hear it on the television. And, and I have to say, I generally don't find swearing in general, you know, it doesn't really upset me or offend me that much. I, I don't know if, if people that know that you're a Christian sometimes apologise to you for their language. I, I get that ever such a lot, and I find it quite bizarre, really. I could be perhaps out playing golf with my mates, and, and one of them will swear, and they say, oh, sorry, John, I think it doesn't bother me at all. Uh, perhaps because I, I try not to swear, that they, they kind of think that I, I don't like it. But what I do find offensive, and I think if you are a follower of Jesus, I think using the, the, the name of Jesus or the name of Christ as a swear word, I actually find that quite offensive. Uh, and that does hurt me. But, but generally speaking, you know, swearing is just something that, that we, we have to live with. It's, it's far, far more than just kind of using God's name as a swear word. So the first one of the word is don't use the name of the Lord as a swear word. But the second one is this, please. Next slide, Rich. Don't swear by God's name falsely. Now, what I mean by this is, don't tell lies, and in particular, do not tell lies and associate them with the name of God. Perhaps the most common uh, illustration of this that you'll all have seen on the telly dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of times, is the court scene where, you know, at the end of the police drama or what have you, there's a court scene. And even to this day, as you know, uh, people go into court, they put their hand on the Bible, and they swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. What? So help me God. Now, for people that don't have any belief, perhaps just putting your hand on a book and, and saying, I'm going to uh, tell the truth and then lie, is actually something that, that, that some people may find easy to do, but I tell you what, it is a really, really serious offence. Um, those of you that will remember a few years ago, uh, there was a government minister, I think he was a Liberal MP, who had um, falsified his, his speeding ticket. He got his wife to, uh, to take the points for him on his uh, driving licence. He did a really foolish thing. He got his wife to take his speeding points, and then he decided to divorce her. So, um, and then she, she fessed up that she'd done it. And they both, both of them, ended up in jail for that. So, it just shows that, that when you make a, a statement in a court of law, and you, you lie, the courts actually take that a lot more seriously, often, than the crime that you're actually there for. It actually surprised me a few years ago. I was asked uh, to be an executor uh, for someone who, who passed away. And uh, myself and the other executives had to go to uh, a solicitor's office in, in Stanford, this one was, uh, to uh, kind of sign and attest an oath that we would discharge our duties as executors on this gentleman's will. And I was actually quite surprised that in this solicitor's office, when we went into the, the kind of waiting room, the meeting room, that we were, the three or four of us were going to sit around and go through the will, they brought out a Bible in the solicitor's office, 
to put it on the table, and we all had to put our hands on the Bible and make an oath that we would discharge our responsibilities. And, and I was really surprised when I said to the solicitor I knew quite well, I said, uh, you know, I'm surprised that you do this. He said, oh, every single solicitor's office in this country has a Bible in it. Did you know that? I, I didn't know that. Every single solicitor's office in this country that, that deals with wills and probate and that type of thing has a Bible. And they still use the Bible in solicitor's offices um, to swear, to effectively say that you'll discharge your responsibilities. You mustn't do that type of thing and then not do what you say you're going to do. You know, it's a really, really serious offence. And, and I wonder if perhaps none of us have been in court, some of us may not have been in court, or we're not executors, you know, how does that apply to us? Perhaps sometimes you may just be tempted to use God's name to prove that you're speaking the truth. You know, as God is my judge, I promise you, this is actually what happened. You don't need to say those type of things. Your yes should be yes, your no should be no. So the second one is, first, don't use the name of the Lord as a swear word. Secondly, don't use God's name falsely. And then the third thing for the what that I thought is this. And I believe this applies to us as Christians far more than the people outside the church. Don't pretend to speak on God's behalf when you're not sure that it's actually God saying this. I've actually seen this in church life, not in this church, I have to say, but in my previous church existence, I have seen people try to imply that they really believe something is God's will, when actually all they're trying to do is push their own preferred options. Even over things like whether or not we should take pews out of a church building. You know, now, I genuinely do not think God cares whether we're sitting in a chair or a pew. I don't think there's anything holy or sacred or, or of any value. But some people do get really hit upon these things. And I know that it is tempting sometimes. If you feel a conviction really, really strongly, you can be convicted that it's what God wants. And you really need to check with yourselves. Is that the case? Or is it just something that I really desperately want myself. And you're so convinced that it's, it's what God wants, but actually it really isn't. So how does that apply to when you feel God might be speaking to you? Well, I think there's a big difference. I think there's a huge difference in trying to kind of shoehorn what you're trying to achieve by, by kind of saying, I'm sure this is what God wants when it very well may not be. But if you are praying with somebody or you're trying to help somebody and you have an inner conviction that God is speaking to you, I don't for one moment think that that could ever be construed as taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, I don't know how <coughs> you react to people who have kind of words for you. Um, there are certain people, if they come up to me and they say, oh, I need a word with you after the service, John, I get quite nervous because I think, crikey, what on earth are they going to say to me? 
Um, and, and some people can uh, seem to be really, really powerful when they, they're kind of uttering things that they think are prophetic. My preferred style is, is a lot more kind of laid back than that. If, if ever I feel that I've got a word for any of you, I think I would always count you by coming up to you and saying, look, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think it could be that God's talking to you about such and such. You know, how do you feel about that? Could you, um, you know, have a think about it? Could you pray about it? Does that mean anything to you? I think that's a far better, work, better way of kind of handling prophecy than going up to somebody and saying, thus saith the Lord, stop fiddling your tax bills. You know, and, and, and they haven't heard from the you know, or whatever it might be. I think that we need to be really cautious as Christians when we speak. It's so easy in church life to kind of assume that we've kind of got God on our side. And we need to be really careful. But don't get hung up. If genuinely you feel that God's nudging you or whispering to you or prompting you to share something, don't ever get worried about whether or not it's God. If you catch it in those terms, if you just actually haven't heard it, it's wrong. It won't be a problem if you, if you handle it in that way. So those are just a few thoughts I had about the what. About what does it mean to not take the name of the Lord in vain. And actually, um, that, that uh, commandment that I, I got for you to start with is from the, the New King James Version. And I actually think that the more modern version of the commandment makes it easier. And this is how I would summarise what it means not to take the Lord's name in vain. And that is, instead of using the word vain, I like this wording from the NIV, which simply says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And as I was preparing this, it felt to me um, far easier to understand, you know, well, don't take the name of the Lord in vain, looking for the definition of vain, what does it mean? But actually, if you simply think this, from those three kind of what points I put, God, I believe, is saying this commandment, look, just don't misuse my name. Be careful when you use my name. Be careful if you think you're speaking on my behalf. Be careful how you, you, you control your tongue when you're with non-Christians. Be careful if you're called to give testimony. Don't misuse my name because it's something that I, I cannot tolerate. So I hope that, that kind of helps. So those are some thoughts about the what's. But let's move on to the why's. Let's move on to the why's of why shouldn't we take the name of the Lord in vain or why shouldn't we misuse it. And really all I want to do for this section is to share with you quite a few scriptures which talk about either the name of the Lord or the name of Jesus. Because actually, if you come to a point in your life where you've accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Saviour, where you've asked him to, to come into your life, where you've, you've asked him to forgive you for the things that you've done wrong, where you've asked him to, to fill you with his Holy Spirit, all of a sudden, the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord, becomes more and more precious to you. And as I've said there on the slide, everywhere in Scripture, as you open your Bible time and time again, 
the name of the Lord is exalted in the highest possible terms. So we'll just go through the next few slides quickly and we'll just read some of these great verses where the Bible tells us about the name of the Lord. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That's a, a great saying. How excellent is your name? Is the name of the Lord excellent to you? Next one. Psalm 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. The name of the Lord is, is glorious and we must, in response to him in worship, we must glorify his name. Moving to the New Testament, Matthew 6. Jesus taught his disciples to pray. We've actually sung this uh, in, in uh, a song already tonight. Our Father, in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, the name of the Lord is to be revered, it's precious, it's to be honoured, it's, it's to be held up on high. And when Jesus taught us to pray, he reminds us that God is our heavenly Father. But he also reminds us that it's an awesome thing to come into the presence of God. And, and one of the things that I think our Anglican brothers and sisters get right sometimes, that, that sometimes we don't, is there's an awe and a reverence sometimes that Anglican worship that we can miss out on if we're not careful. The Lord is to be hallowed. The Lord is to be revered. The Lord is to be feared in, in the right sense of that word. And we need to make sure that in our worship and in our approach to God, we realise that we're not just coming to a mate, we're coming to our Heavenly Father, whose name is hallowed. I think this is St Peter in Acts chapter 4, where he says to the assembled people, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus he's referring to there. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Now, a very similar one from Romans 10, where Paul writes to the church of Rome, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's quite amazing, actually, when you think about it. Your salvation is based on you calling upon Jesus' name. A few years ago, I was asked to take a funeral, and um, I, I wasn't really certain whether the person whose funeral I was taking uh, was, a, was a believer, was a Christian or not. Um, in, in the light of Springs Church and, and churches like this, often we we only tend to do funerals for, for people that we really know have got a very strong faith. People within our church family will take a funeral. And we can be really confident that they're, that they're a believer. It's very difficult to take a funeral when you've been asked to do a funeral for somebody and you don't really know what to say. So there's a guy in, in our area, many of you will have known him or seen him, Bill Corbin. Bill is Mr. Funeral, Mr. Gorman Funeral. I think he's done between eight and 900 funerals in Gordon over the last uh, 10 or 20 years. 
And um, I actually thought, I've, I've got this tricky funeral to take. I'll, I'll go and have a chat with Phil. And Phil was really helpful to me because he said, and I, I knew this anyway, but he reminded me that we can never, ever um, judge anyone else's faith. We can never, ever uh, really make a judgment on whether or not they're a Christian. And, and Bill just said to me, you remember the thief on the cross that just asked Jesus to remember him? And in that split second, Jesus said to him, you're going to be with me in glory today. And, and Bill said to me, and I believe this, and, and this has been incredibly helpful for me uh, in taking funerals along these lines, where he said, you never know, you never know when a person is at the end of their life, when a person perhaps is in the hospital or on the deathbed, they have been too dramatic. Whether in their dying moments they cry out, forgive me Lord, save me Lord. We, we don't know, that is only ever between us and God. Only God knows. We can have a pretty good idea about people's relationship with God, but only God really knows. And actually, there is so much power in the name of Jesus, that, that Bill, and I believe this myself, said that someone on their deathbed just crying out, Jesus, save me, is enough. That is how much power there is in the name of Jesus. And when we speak in the name of Jesus, we need to realise that it's a precious name, and a name that, that we have to use carefully. It's amazing that we are actually allowed to speak it on his behalf, and in his name, but the Bible makes it clear that we can. And then I think this is the last one from Philippians that I wanted to share with you about the why we shouldn't have used the name of the Lord, because it's so precious. Philippians 2 says this, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and on earth and of those under the earth. And then every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of the Lord may have been abused, may have been taken in vain millions of times over the last couple of thousand years and beyond. I think that probably is the case. So many people use the name of the Lord in vain. The Bible actually makes it clear that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Jesus is Lord. That's amazing, isn't it? Jesus is Lord, and every tongue will confess it, every knee will bow it, bow before the name of Jesus. And that is why we never take it in vain. We never ever trivialise it. We never ever uh, think that it's just alright to, to not treat it seriously. Honouring the name of the Lord is so important. So, we're going to finish um, just by looking at the who. We've looked at the what, three uh, simple reasons, what it actually means. Looked a little bit at why we shouldn't use the name of the Lord in vain. But I want to conclude this evening, and, and uh, in just a, you know, a couple of three minutes, I think, now, the band will come up, and we're going to, we're going to actually begin to look at the who. So can I have the next slide, please, Rich? The who. What I want to do as we conclude this service is to just look at what it is. What is the name of God? And I put a quote up there. 
He says here, to know the name of the Lord, the merciful and gracious one, is not merely to know something about God. It is to know God himself. What that verse, what that quotation is saying there is this. If you know the name of the Lord, you know God himself. So I've got a whole list from the Old Testament in particular of just who is God. So again, we're just going to go through these fairly quickly. My, uh, my Hebrew pronunciation is going to be put to the test in a moment. Because I just want to really read through these and just read through them slowly. But to actually say, when we come to Springs Church, when we worship God, this is who we are worshipping. We're worshipping, we're singing the praises of El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. We're worshipping El Elyon, the Most High God. Adonai, the Lord our Master. Yahweh, Lord Jehovah. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord my banner. When you go from this place, you won't see it because it's not physical, but you actually go with the banner of God over your life. You go with God's banner, Jehovah Nissi. Jehovah Ra, the Lord my shepherd. If you're a follower of Jesus, as that wonderful psalm tells us, the Lord will be your shepherd, your guide, the one that provides for you, the one that leads you to green pastures. If you're unwell, we worship the Lord Rapha, the Lord that heals Jehovah Rapha. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God wants to heal. It could be today that someone needs a touch from Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that wants to heal them, wants to heal their mind, wants to heal their body, wants to heal their relationships. Jehovah Shammah, the Lord, is there. Uh, that refers to a specific place, but we take our God with us all the time. This is where it gets a little more tricky on the pronunciation. Jehovah Titzkenu, is that right? I don't know. Nobody's going to tell me if I'm wrong. The Lord, our righteousness. What Jesus did on the cross was to save us, and God doesn't view our righteousness from who and what we are. But God makes us righteous. He also sanctifies us. Jehovah Mekadishakem. How about that? Say it quickly. I'm, sorry. I'm not going to say it again because I pronounce it completely differently. <laughs> the Lord who sanctifies you. El Oho. God is everlasting. These are all names that refer to God. But the thing is, God has got so many attributes, so many facets. He has so many names, but all of these are names that we can just understand a little bit more about God. Just simply, Elohim, God. God is God. God is I am. It says here, Jehovah Hanana, I think it is. God is jealous. 
doesn't allow us to put any other gods before him. But he's also jealous for you. You're so precious to him that, that he's jealous that you should remain in relationships with him. If you're struggling, if there's things lacking in your life, our God, Jehovah Jireh, will provide for you. If you're troubled, Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. He will give you peace. And then, just to conclude, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. In other words, there are heavenly hosts, but our Lord is Lord of all the heavenlies. Can we just have the next slide? Thanks, Richard. And I want to end with this. To know the name of the Lord, is the merciful and gracious one, is not merely to know something about God. It is to know God himself. And then this is my quote at the end. God knows each and every one of us by name. In fact, the book of Revelation tells us that at some stage, we're each going to be given a new name. So the good news is, if you don't actually like the name that you were christened with, then one day, God's going to call you by a new name. Now, you don't know what that is yet, but the one thing I totally believe is this. When God calls you individually by that new name, you will know that it's you he's referring to. You will know that it's he who is calling you, and you will know that he means you. So if God knows you by name, isn't it important that we know his name as well? Let's put that next final slide up with you, Rich, which is, again, just those various names of God. Now, I've covered a heck of a lot in that slide. So I just want to, I'm going to ask the band to, to come back up now. And, and just as the band are coming up, could you just kind of in an attitude of prayer, look at that slide, look at all of those names of God, and... Just ask yourself, what name's important to you today? Is it healing? Is it provision? Is it peace? Is it a God that you need to glorify? I, I don't know, but you do. Um, so as we kind of wind up our service today, we're going to, to sing a song that you all know, which talks about the name of Jesus. And as we, we sing this, and as we talk about Jesus, just realise that there is so many aspects to who God is. And that is why this commandment is so vital to us. If you love Jesus, you'll love his name. And we'll just worship together, we'll stand and sing, and then we'll just uh, we'll just allow the Holy Spirit to wind up the service as, as, as he sees it. So, uh, thanks God.
listening to hear more of our messages make sure to subscribe to our youtube channel and our podcast channel for past preachers if you feel like you got something out of today's message why not share it with your friends and spread the good news of jesus we are praying for you we love you so please if you need anything at all check out springschurch.co.uk god bless